Now I am. It's so good to be here today. I am thrilled to be back. I cannot believe it has been three years since I have been at Hope. I have missed you guys terribly. And I, as I see so many of you coming in this morning, you've reminded me of that. And I just, but I thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to, to connect with you again today. Um, again, my name is Dave Hillis, lead pastor at Grace Community in Tucson. Um, and we are so thrilled to be here. For those of you who are new to Hope today, let me just say, Come back next week and hear Pastor Dwayne. He preaches phenomenally, but you have a great church here in Chandler, Arizona. A great church, and you have a great pastor in Dwayne Cross. You really do. Um, Dwayne has been a mentor for me for for many, many years. I did a video intro for him before I left uh, to come up here, and basically I introduced him by saying he's a pretty good guy. He hates pickles, and he hates house cats, just like me, so you should be set this morning. So, well, um, as I said, we're living in Tucson. We're actually in Oro Valley, which is on the northwest side of town, so we're not too far from Chandler. Um, I am still, as, you, as, as Brandon admitted, I'm still pretty into hiking. I finished the Arizona Trail a couple years ago, which goes from a trail that goes from Utah to Mexico. And actually, I'm leaving here this afternoon to go to Colorado because I have to do a wedding in Denver. But on my way there, I'm going to do a couple of 14ers on the way up and uh, climb a couple of mountains while I'm out there. I'm really looking forward to that. My wife, Teresa, is here with me. She is enjoying Tucson as well. She's also into gardening these days. Our backyard is now growing everything from Peruvian plants to basil. I mean, you walk out and you think you're in, you know, a different place. But she's really going great with that. And also in women's ministry there, doing some phenomenal things there. And I can't believe our son, who you might have seen three years ago when he was just this little, he is now this little, 11 years old, going into junior high this year. So... I don't know what to even think about him going into student ministry at this point. I'm still freaked out by the whole idea of that. Well, today I'm going to be sharing with you, as I was praying actually about what to share with you this morning, I decided to share, give you a sneak preview in what I'm going to actually be sharing with my church family at Grace next Sunday. Next Sunday I'm going to be starting a new series of messages for them called Secrets. And um, what we're going to be looking at through that, that series over the next several weeks are some of the most common secrets that we as people have, that cause secret shame in our lives. And what the Bible has to say about it and what we as a body of Christ should look like being full of grace and truth as we come around people who are struggling and suffering and give hope and freedom from those things. You know, so many people that I have met over my several years of full-time ministry have struggled with secrets. Some secrets are sins or failures from our past that continue to haunt us in the present. A sexual encounter from years ago, a bad financial decision, a response that was made in anger, and it, has, it blew up and it still hurts the lives of people around you. There's a middle-aged woman that I know um, who enjoys having a good time, and there was a couple of times in her life where she carried it a little bit too far. She got pregnant, and the shame that she had from becoming pregnant and outside of wedlock in this small Bible-based town she was from was too much for her, and she decided to have an abortion at two uh, at different times. She thought that that might relieve her shame, but it only made it worse. And she carries around this shame and guilt for the decision that she made in a moment of shame and doesn't know what to do with it. I, I remember years ago sitting down with her as she just finally let it out for the first time and told someone, and she just sobbed uncontrollably. 
As I spoke with her and talked with her about the freedom that she could have in Christ and be able to move away from that, she couldn't accept that. And in the end, she just kind of shut down and she says, I can't talk about this. This is too hard. I just need to stuff this like I always have and move on. And even today, she suffers from her secret in silence. Oftentimes, the secrets that we struggle with are things that are ongoing in our lives. Those things in our lives, those weak chinks in our armor that constantly find ways to pull us down and to cause us to drift back into sin. And as a result, we lose victory in our lives. We think to ourselves in those moments, you know, I shouldn't be struggling with this. Something must be wrong with me. No one else struggles with this kind of thing like I do. And we hold on to that secret shame. Still others that I have talked to over the years struggle with these vague feelings of shame. And they can't really put their fingers on it. Maybe you know some people like this. Some, and maybe it would be, might even be you. Feelings of just not being good enough. Feelings of inadequacy. Not, not being a good enough parent. Not, not being a good enough spouse. Not being a good enough child of God. And we can get, put ourselves on a treadmill in life of always trying to do, do better. Trying to perform for God more effectively, trying to perform for our spouse, do everything we can to try to please everyone else to feel better about ourselves. But in the end, what we realize is it's a trap. That secret shame continues to torment us and hold us back from living the abundant life that God has promised you and I. I've even talked with people over the years who struggle with secret shame, and they, even hadn't, they didn't even have anything to do with it. They're the victim but they have taken on that shame and made it their own. Children of divorce, people who have su suffered from physical, emotional, sexual abuse, had these so oftentimes those who are struggling in those areas, they had those tapes playing all the time about how they're bad, they're, they're not good enough, they're not worth anything. And they suffer in silence. It's a secret. Today I want to talk about this idea of secret shame and how the enemy of your soul wants to do everything in his power to tear you down bit by bit, day by day. And how the power of Christ can bring healing to that and destroy that secret shame. And, and here's, here's, if you get nothing else out of this message today, this is what I hope that you would walk away from, from this message today. Secret shame loses its power in your life and mine, when we accept that we cannot change our past, but with God's help, we can change our future. I want to say that again. Secret shame loses its power over your life and over my life when we accept the fact that, yeah, the past is in the past. I can't do anything about that. But with God's help, I can change the future. The theme for this series that I'm going to be starting at Grace next week is based off of Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says this, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And as we start this message today, let me say to you as I start, let me tell you what I'm not saying today. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying in this message about secret shame that every secret that you have in your past needs to be broadcast to the world. Every secret in your past needs to somehow be told even to someone that you trust. You know, sometimes secrets are, are, are dead and in the past, and they need to stay dead. 
right? Amen? They need to stay in the past. And giving them light only brings them back out and gives them recognition that they do not deserve. But oftentimes, for many of us, secrets aren't really left in the past. They come back to haunt us, to to damage us, to to cause pain, to um, bind up people in the present and hold us back from living the abundant lives that God's called us to live. And these are the secrets. These are the ones that I feel like we need to tackle head on with the power of the Holy Spirit on our side. So as I get started this morning, let me ask you a, a sensitive question. Do you have secrets? Do you have things that secretly hold you back from God's best for you? Have you totally left those things in the past? Or do they keep finding ways to re-enter your life and trip you up and to bring secret shame into your life even in the present? You know, shame is a powerful, powerful emotion. It makes us feel inferior, defective, broken. It makes us want to hide. In fact, the origin of the word shame comes from a word meaning to cover or to hide. There's a Christian author and seminary professor by the name of Stephen Tracy who talks about how there are two different kinds of shame. One is a healthy shame or a conviction that comes from God. It's that internal mechanism inside our souls that says that we're heading in a wrong direction and we need to change course. But then there is, he, he describes there is an unhealthy or toxic shame that can come into our lives. And we oftentimes in the church call that condemnation. Here's what Stephen Tracy had to say about these two types of shame. Listen to this. He says, Healthy shame is based on our unique dignity as bearers of God's image. No matter how much we've sinned, healthy shame is a gracious call to correction and cleansing so we can be what the Lord of the universe meant us to be. In other words, healthy shame sounds as an internal foghorn that we are headed toward the jagged rocks. It's a gracious call to repentance. That's healthy shame. That's shame that's brought unto us by the Holy Spirit. That's conviction. But here's the unhealthy shame. Here's the toxic shame that believers and non-believers alike around the world suffer with day after day. He says, unhealthy or toxic shame, on the other hand, can never redeem. It can only corrode and destroy. For the recipient, toxic shame often feels similar to healthy shame, but it is based on lies and distortions about God, about our sin, about our worth, and about our redeemability. The distortions may be subtle or outrageous, but the result is always the same. Toxic shame distorts our sense of dignity as divine image bearers and drives us away from God, from others, even from ourselves. Now, this morning, I want to take us into Scripture. That's where we're going to find the hope that we need today. So we're going to be looking at the story of a man who was a great man of God in the Old Testament. But he was also, let me just tell you, in case you don't know, he was also a great sinner. And one story in particular we're going to be looking at, this man and committed a sin, and the secrets that he, the secret shame that he felt caused him to snowball and get himself into a situation that was completely out of control. This guy's name was David, King David. Today we're going to be reading from Psalm chapter 51. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. We'll be there in just a few minutes. 
But before we start into Psalm 51 and we understand how David finally came to a point of processing this secret shame that he had, I want to kind of give you the story of what led up to it. And this story I'm going to be sharing with you comes from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So you, you can follow along there if you want while I tell this story, or you can just listen in. So there was a man thousands of years ago, 3,000 years ago, named David. He's the king of Israel. And one day he was walking over on, above on the top of his palace uh, and looking over, his, uh, looking over the land of Israel. And he happens to glance over and see a woman bathing. A, an attractive woman who was bathing. An attractive married woman who was bathing. And his hormones start to rage and he invites this woman over and one thing leads to another and he makes some decisions that he comes to regret. But in the end, he decides to himself, you know what? No one needs to know this. I'll be fine. I, I can keep this secret to myself. I can deal with the shame in my own life. No one has to know. And he thinks that's true until he gets a message from this woman, Bathsheba, who says, guess what, king? I'm pregnant. So David now gets in this mode where he's trying to determine, what can I do to hide my secret shame? What can I do to keep people from feeling, from knowing what I have done. You, you can imagine the shame that Bathsheba must feel as her husband is off at war fighting for his country and she has done what she's done. You can imagine, though, the shame that David must have felt as he has sent this man, her husband, off to battle to fight for him. And this is what he's doing while he's away. So King David's decision is to try to hide. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll ask this man, this husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, to come home. And I'll just invite him because I want to ask how the war is going. I mean, maybe the general is not available and this guy on the front lines, he can answer my questions for me. It's kind of illogical, but this is what he thinks of. So he invites Uriah to come to the, to the palace and he just kind of uh, shoots the breeze with him. He asks him how the war is going and, he, and Uriah tells him. And he says, you know what, Uriah? You've been such a good guy. You've been such a faithful soldier. Why don't you just relax? Why don't you just go home and be with your wife? No problem. I'll send you back to the battlefront tomorrow. And Uriah is a man of integrity. He says, no, I can't do that. Because all my brothers are fighting as we speak for our country. I, I can't go home and enjoy the pleasures of my own wife when all of my other brothers are fighting and dying on the battlefield. And so what he decides to do is to fall asleep outside the doors of King David's palace along with King's servants. King David finds out about this and he thinks, oh brother, how am I going to deal with this? So he just says, I know what I'll do. I'll invite the guy back over to my house tomorrow. I'll get him plastered. I'll get him stone drunk. He won't even know what he did. And I'll send him home. Problem solved. Everybody will think the baby's his. We'll be fine. Problem solved. So he does that. He invites Uriah over. He gets him completely drunk. He tries to send him home, but this man in his stinking integrity decides to to go to sleep again outside the king's doors of his palace. He won't go. So David realizes there's only one thing left to do here, and he decides to write out a note to his general. And on the note, which he seals and he gives to Uriah to bring to the general, it's an order telling the general to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle and then to withdraw so that he will be killed. Uriah walks back to the battlefront holding his death notice. 
And sure enough, the general does what the king asks, and Uriah is killed. And David is finally able to say, Phew! I finally dealt with it. I finally dealt with the secret shame. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I can just stuff it inside, not tell anybody what I'm feeling. I can deal with it. I'll be fine. But God won't allow that. And so what we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is after months of David holding this secret, God sends a man, a prophet of God by the name of Nathan to, to his palace. And Nathan starts telling David a story of this great injustice. And it infuriates David. And he says, something has to be done about this. And what he doesn't realize is Nathan's setting a trap for David. And he exposes David's secret sin. And in that moment, after months and months of keeping this secret, David finally gives up. He finally decides he's not going to shut Nathan up. He's not going to use his kingly power to try to hide the problem anymore. He's done. The book of Psalms this gives us many psalms that David wrote himself. And one of those is Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm 51 after he was confronted by Nathan about his secret shame and the sin that he had committed. And what we're going to see here in Psalm 51 are the words that David cries out of his heart to God. Let's look at Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. David says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely, David says, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. In other words, you want secrets. Surely you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And then David says, cleanse me, God, with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Please, God, do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, Though David had been dealing with this secret for months, the time came sooner or later when he realized he had to face it head on. Now, how did David face it? Well, what we see from this is, he had, number one, he admits to himself and to God what he needs to own out of this whole situation that he has created. He stops hiding. He doesn't blame others. He doesn't try to blow it off. He doesn't try to minimize it. He doesn't try to maintain pride or, or to save face. He owns it, he confesses it to God, and he seeks forgiveness. Verse 3, he says, God, you know my transgressions. Verse 4, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Notice, he's not sugarcoating this at all. 
Verse 1, have mercy on me. According to your great compassion, God, please blot out my transgressions. And at the end of the day, after David has decided that he has done all that he can do, he makes a conscious decision to leave the pain, to leave the shame in the past, and to not let it destroy him and those around him anymore. God tells David at this time that his newborn son won't live. And David starts praying, and he fasts for seven days, begging God to change his mind. But his son finally dies. And after David's servants have watched him suffer and do without food and pray nonstop for seven days, they're concerned when they find out that the king's son has died, and they think, we, we, we really can't tell David what's happened. He's not going to handle it well. I mean, you see how he's been handling it so far. This isn't going to go well. But David does find out, and he acts in a way that no one expects. He stopped praying. He cleaned up. He went to church to worship God, and then he came home and ate. Now, what we're seeing here is David is rejecting the notion that he needs to wallow in his sin and the damage that it's caused, and he needs to move on. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 22 and 23, we see that people are trying to ask him, what's going on, David? How could you act this way? Shouldn't you act a little more sorrowful? Shouldn't you, you know, be beating yourself up a little bit more? And this is what David says. He says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back to life again? You know, as I look back on this story, and I've spent a lot of time reflecting on it, what I I have found that really has given me a sense of confidence and hope are three simple questions that I like to ask myself, and I'd encourage you to ask yourself when you're being faced with secret shame. And this comes right off the pages of God's Word here in the story of David. And the first question that I like to ask myself is, in those moments, what do I need to own? What do I need to own? What parts of this situation are on me and that I need to take ownership of? Now, that's not always as easy as it sounds. There are some times in our lives when we just don't want to own up to what we've done, right? We still have this tendency to point the finger to someone else and say, well, I wouldn't have done it if. But there comes a point when to to fully move past secret shame, we have to own it and own all of it and what we've done. Sometimes... Secret shame is hard to identify, or or um, deciding what we need to own is hard to identify, I should say, also because there are times in our lives when we commit sin that just causes us to beat up on ourselves mercilessly. And we get so bothered or so ashamed by what we've done that that shame goes toxic in our lives. We make it bigger than it really is, and we don't respond in a healthy way. And in those moments, Satan starts planting his lies in your mind and in mine. Things like, you know, you're, you're just a bad person. You're, you know, you're hopeless. You're a hypocrite. You come to church and you show up here and you act all spiritual, but look at you. Look at what you've done. Something's wrong with you. And those tapes will play over and over in our heads. These messages can lead to secret shame. And we can lock, those secret, we can lock that secret shame away in our heart for decades. Christ calls us to deal with that shame and to deal with it fully and then to fully let it go. 
And we can do that by, number one, owning, deciding what we need to own. And then the second question that I like to ask myself is, what do I need to confess and to make right? What do I need to confess and to make right? In other words, once I know what I need to own in this situation, I know that I need to confess those things to God. In those moments, we choose not to run, not to avoid or deny or hide from those feelings. We seek forgiveness, and we also apologize to those we've hurt. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 say that we're to do that, and we're to do it quickly. It's part of their healing process, and it's part of our healing process as well. Whether they accept our apologies or not, completely irrelevant. doesn't matter. You offer them. And if there's anything in your power that you can do to make the situation right, you do that as well. And when you've answered those two questions fully, when you've acted on those two questions, what do I need to own? What do I need to confess and make right? Then you can answer the third question. And this is a question that I believe oftentimes the body of Christ forgets to ask themselves. What do I need to reject? What do I need to reject? What thoughts, what beliefs about myself do I now need to move from the present into the past? Because in God's eyes, I have done all that he has asked me to do. And it's done. Our putting an end to toxic shame involves resolving to work fully through our healthy shame which God says when we, ask, when we come to God in repentance, He always grants forgiveness, but then to reject everything else. 1 John 1, 9, you know this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an unconditional statement. Psalm 103, God says this, It says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, when when we answer those first two questions, God removes those transgressions. But here's what he may not do. He may not remove that shame until we've come to a place of being willing to let it go. God never keeps us in shame. So why do we continue to put ourselves there? Yeah, but Pastor Dave, I have done the same stupid things over and over and over. Proverbs 24, 16. Though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again. We can all live free from shame by following the example of David that he sets in Psalm 51. Own it. Seek forgiveness for it and reject the rest, and move on. And let me say to you, those of you who are here this morning, maybe, maybe you've always done the first two really well. You've known how to own what you've done. You've known how to ask for forgiveness and to ask uh, forgiveness of God and those around you, but you haven't done the third one well. And I would offer to you, perhaps that is why in your life that secret shame is still there. Because maybe you've asked God to forgive you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. God has forgotten it, but you continue to remind him of what you've done over and over and over again. And that shame continues to hold its grip on you and bind you with its chains. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3, 9, 
that he didn't have any confidence in his ability to do good. He says, any good I do, it's only because of God. But then he says in verses 13 and 14, he says, I forget what is behind, I forget the past, and I move forward into the future that Christ has given me. In other words, I'm not letting the past, I'm not letting all the really dumb decisions that I've made in the past hold me back. I can't do anything about my past, Paul would say, but I can do something about my future because my future is secure in Christ. We are God's children, and God does not want us torturing ourselves over something that God says is already forgiven and forgotten. Child of God, you are not dirty when Christ has made you clean. You are not a disappointment. You are not rejected by God. You are not going to go to hell for what you have done because your faith in Christ has secured that for you. God gives us the ability to work through our shame and live lives free from it if we choose to do so. I said this early on this morning. Secret shame loses its power over your life and over mine when we accept the fact that we can't change our past. But with God's help, we can change our future. Listen to this promise from Job chapter 11. Yet if you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hands to Him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. Listen, Satan has plenty of condemnation. He has plenty of toxic shame that he can lob on you at any given moment. And we give him plenty of opportunities for him to do so, right? But if we choose to reject those thoughts, God can and will give us a glorious future. It is guaranteed. But it's up to each one of us to get there. Listen this morning. If this message is touching a nerve with you, and you're feeling it someplace in your life because of past mistakes or even ones that you continue to struggle with in the present, if you're finding a place in this today where you would say to me, Dave, I, I feel some secret shame and I've never been able to shake it, then I want to ask you to do something this week. It's not going to be comfortable and it's not going to be easy, but it's going to set you free. I want to ask you to talk with someone that you trust. A Christian, talk with a Christian friend about it. Talk with a counselor. Talk with one of the pastors here at, Great, at Hope. You have some amazing pastors in this church who are ready and available to stand with you and walk with you through these things. Do not walk another day carrying that baggage on your back when God says, I've set you free from it. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse you from it. Unconditional. Let me ask you this morning, what are you holding on to in the secrecy of your own heart that causes you shame? What mistakes or pains from the past continue to come back and haunt you in the present? How has that shame over the years affected your identity and your sense of worth? Is there something that you now know today that you need to own, confess, and then reject? How might you walking through those steps actually not only bring freedom to your own life, but to those around you who you walk with who are also struggling with shame? Now, maybe you're here today and you say, Dave, great message, appreciate it, but you know what? I don't struggle with this. 
I don't have any shame, never have, don't worry, I don't, have, I don't struggle with it at all. And if that's you today, great, God bless you. But maybe God brought you here today because in your circle of friends and contacts, you know someone who is struggling with secret shame. And God has given you this word this morning to bring to them, to walk them through Psalm 51 and these three simple questions that they can ask themselves and that you can give them the confidence and assurance to know that once they do these three things, that shame can be gone and those chains can be gone and gone forever, not just for another day or two, but forever. Imagine, imagine a church filled with sinners who are all fully forgiven and free, unshackled by shame. Imagine churches that recognized were broken all in different ways and said, not only are perfect people allowed here, I'm sorry, not only are perfect people not allowed here, but secret shame isn't allowed here either. Imagine a church like this one and like mine in Tucson that every person who comes through the doors, we say, yeah, we understand what you're going through. We've been there, we've done that, and we're only, not only are we not going to condemn you, we want to walk alongside you in this journey because you have something to teach us just as we do with you. That, my friends, is the body of Christ. That is the church at its finest. That's when the church shines for the world to see. Yeah, the, church, the, the people outside the church may say, yeah, you're a bunch of hypocrites. When I hear that, I usually say, yeah, please come join us. We have a seat available for you. We aren't perfect, but we are saved by God's grace. And we'd love for you to experience that grace for yourself. Over the next few weeks at Grace, as we, uh, we're going to be looking at this, as I said, this series called Secrets. And we're going to be talking about toxic shame. And then we're going to actually be unpacking several things that I believe, in my experience over the last few, several years, have caused loads and loads of shame in the body of Christ. It's true with those outside the body, but it's especially true within the body. I'm going to be talking about things like the secret shame people carry around because many people sometimes question the existence of God. Tough times hit, things happen, and we question God and God's existence and God's goodness, and we feel like that's something we can never tell anyone else. They won't even want me back in the doors of the church. And it's a sin, or it's, a, it's, a, it's some secret shame that we carry with us. I'll be talking about things like self-image and how we beat up ourselves rather than seeing us as God sees us. I'll be talking about sexual secrets like pornography and adultery and homosexuality and all these things in our lives that bring on loads and loads and loads of shame. And we as the body of Christ have been guilty of it many times because we're not balancing grace and truth in tension as we could. So by God's grace, we're going to open up several, uh, I'm going to walk into several landmines over the next few weeks, and hopefully I'm going to survive it. You can pray for me. But as we close today, I want to remind you once again that any secret shame that you have in your life today, you can walk out and leave today. Own it, seek forgiveness, and then reject the rest. Reject those messages, those tapes that play over and over again about um, how you see yourself and remind yourself of how God sees you in Christ. Remind yourself that though your sins be black, God washes them white as snow. 
Remind yourself that God gave everything for you and I by dying on a cross so that that stuff could be left in the past. And Christ reaches out to you and to me today and says, please drop that at the foot of the cross today. Are you willing to do that? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity today to share from your word. Lord, I am just beyond frustrated by the damage I have seen the enemy cause in the lives of those who are in the body of Christ over the years. I'm tired of seeing those who suffer with shame and suffer in silence and don't even feel like they can talk with anyone about it because of how they might be judged. God, would you forgive us as the body of Christ for not giving people places to talk about those secrets and be able to work through them and get freedom from them? Would you help us, Lord, as a body of believers to perfectly balance grace and truth to the best of our ability, to not ignore sin, but not to reject the sinner either, but to realize that we are all broken people and we all have our own brokenness and we're all working through it together. God, I pray today in this room this morning that you would set some lives free. That as people start to share with those they trust these secrets, that they can finally just breathe a sigh of relief and let them go. And God, in those moments when we are tempted to reach back down into the muck and pick them back up, God, would you gently, lovingly slap us on the hands and remind us to leave them there because you paid for them with your own blood. God, we love you, and we are so grateful that you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we thank you that as we're getting ready to sing in a moment, that our chains are gone. They've been set, we've been set free by the power of Christ. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things.